Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Uh, let's get into this message. We're looking at Second uh, Kings is where we're going to begin, Second uh, Kings chapter 4. And the great thing about this uh, message today is if you haven't read your Bible this week, we are going to read a lot of scripture together. So you're going to feel accomplished just by coming to church today. You can check that off your list. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, we are looking at a passage that deals with the life and ministry of a prophet named Elisha. Now, I love Elisha. Uh, he's one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, worked all sorts of crazy miracles. And what we're going to look at today is, I think, one of the most beautiful passages of scripture that deals with one of the hardest realities and challenges we face in life. So I'm gonna start in verse eight, and I'm gonna break this up as much as I can to help us find ourselves in this narrative. But in verse eight, it says, now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he'd go in there, because I mean, like no preacher's gonna turn down a free meal, and so he goes, and she's like, hey, this holy man, he's coming by, passes by us regularly. Why don't we take it one step further and uh, let's make a small upper room for him. I mean, after all, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. It's the least we could do. And uh, let's put a bed in there, make a table. I just want to be comfortable. That's what we're, you know, let's, let's do this. And so be whenever he comes, like then he'll have a place to stay. Verse 11 says, it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room that she made and he laid down. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, hey, call this Shunammite woman. And when he called her, uh, she stood before him. And that's kind of weird because, like, you got to picture this in your mind. Like, he's in this room that he made for her, or she made for him. And, uh, and he's laying on the, on the bed. And then Gehazi, his servant, is in the room with him. And then she's there, like, in the room. And I don't know why, but instead of just speaking directly to the woman, he speaks to his servant. He says, say to her, look, you've been concerned for us, all this care. I mean, man, you've gone above and beyond anything, you know, what I expected. You didn't need to do all this. I want to know... What can I do for you? Because it would be inappropriate for me to let you do all this and not me do something in return. Like it would violate a spiritual law for you to do something for God and not have God bless you in return. And so I, I need, I can't let this go unnoticed. I have to reciprocate this. Uh, she's like, uh, he gives some example. Like I can speak on the king for your behalf or, you know, I know the commander of the army. Like I'm connected. You just let me know what you need. And she says, I dwell among my own people. In other words, she's like, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all right. I'm good. Don't need anything. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm all right. I'm good. So he's like, all right, well, what, what then is to be done for her? So she's left at this point. And Gehazi answered, well, actually, she has no son, and her husband's old, if you know what I mean, Elisha. Not reading in, it's just that's what he says. Her husband is old. And so uh, he, he said, all right, well, call her, call her back here. And, and he called her back. She comes and she stood in the doorway and he says, about this time, next year, you shall embrace a son. Now, you got to admit he's taking a chance saying this because, I mean, I've learned that when it comes to this subject, it's best just to limit uh, all, all, all mention of 
reproduction and fertility when you're speaking, like just to limit these occasions, like when you're speaking to a woman, it is best not to presume that she's pregnant. Like just don't do that. And it's also a good idea not to presume that she isn't pregnant. It is best just to presume that pregnancy does not exist. It is not a reality when you're in a conversation. Just don't mention it and it'll go well with you. But he does. He has the nerve to bring this up and he says something that he speculates that God wants to do in her life. And what's interesting is we know she didn't have a son. We know that this woman is wealthy. But how many of you know, I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy yourself a baby in Bible times if you're barren. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. There's no fertility treatment. Like, you're not going to be able to purchase your way into producing. Uh, it's not going to work for this woman. So I want you to think about this for a minute. This prophet, this man of God, he makes a promise. And he says, hey, I know you're wealthy, but there's something you don't have. And about this time next year, you're going to be able to get the thing that you can't get for yourself. Now just let that sink in for a minute. Pretend this is God speaking to you. He says, this time next year, you are going to get what you can't get for yourself. How would you respond to that? Hopefully not like this. Hopefully you would be, be like an episode of Oprah's Favorite Things. I hope that you would like be going crazy and confetti's flying in the air. Are you guys with me this morning or are you like just asleep? Are, hello, can you say, let me know that you're here. Just put your hands together like you're having fun. Go crazy. All right, thank you. That was about 50% of you. Here's what happens when you don't respond. I come to you. Don't even test me. You know I'll do it. So we'll see what happens. It's all about your response. So, so, so he, said, he says to this woman, about this time next year, you're going to get the thing that you cannot get for yourself. That's awesome. That's great. I love it. Yeah, she's silent. That's how I expected her to respond. That's what makes it so strange what happens next. Because she says, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Don't you do me like that. Don't, don't you talk to me like that. Don't even go there. Don't, don't you make promises that you can't keep. One translation says, don't get my hopes up again. Don't, don't you dare say that. Don't talk to me like, don't even mention it. Don't want to hear it. That is a crazy way to respond to a promise. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he's wanted to do something nice for her. What a strange way to respond to a blessing. Don't you say that to me. Mm-mm. Don't, don't, don't even. You don't want to know. Just don't. Just don't. Zip. Strange way to respond, but yet in this strange response, I believe God has a message for us today, has a message for you. And here is the message. If you're taking notes, and every good Christian takes notes, so do that what you will. 
Some of you are like, should I be taking notes right now? I don't, I'll give an altar call at the end of the message, so just, you know, ready for whatever. But here's, the me- here's God's message for you. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. I need you to find three people, shake them like you are waking them up out of bed, and say, get your hopes up. Will you do that for me? Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Some of you, I'm glad I don't live with you. I would not want you to wake me up in the morning. But, hey, I want to pray. I'm going to ask for God's help. I believe we all need God's help. And just, uh, just I don't always do this, but, but today, just as an attitude of receiving what God has for us, if you were just everybody, just hold out your hands like you're about to receive what God has for you. I'm going to pray. God, you see each person here. You know their heart. You know what they need to hear. And God, I'm asking that you will answer the need in their life, Father. They come because they need you. They come because they need to hear from you. Even the person that came here and thought, I'm just going to check this out. I've heard about this church. Somebody invited me. I heard there were donuts. God, I believe that you want to speak to them today. And so I'm asking that you will use me in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. All right. This is going to be a good, good Sunday. Hey, how many of you, how many of you have ever tried to help somebody who didn't want your help? Have you ever had that happen? I see some of you pointing fingers right now. Do not do that. That is not nice. Knock it off. But uh, I I bring that up because it was a radiant week at my house last week. Uh, That's not an official type radiant. Yeah, how many girls were at radiant? That was fun. Yeah, that's great. That's great. My wife did so good preach. I almost asked her to preach this week just so I could hear her message again. It was that good. I know it's for ladies, but I snuck in. I had special access. And anyways, um, Radiant Week in my house. It's not an official title, but uh, that's, that's what I call it. It's, one of my, the, it's, it's the culmination of all my wife's efforts uh, for, for this uh, ladies event happen. And uh, it, it's, it's quite an ordeal at my house. You got to understand, like there is lots of pink. There is lots of glitter in the air. There is lots of pinks glitter in the air being played uh, in the background. There, there, I mean, just saying, there's lots of stuff going on uh, at my house. And, and uh, it's one of those weeks, it's like an EGR week at my, you know what an EGR week is, right? Extra grace required week. And I'm not saying for my I'm just saying for me, um, th- there's a lot of extra grace required. Because in the midst of all these details and everything happening and everything moving, um, sometimes the, the little things can get overlooked. Not big things, just little things. Like maybe uh, the laundry doesn't get done one day. Or, or maybe, um, maybe you don't pick up the house as much as it normally is picked up. Maybe you forget to feed your kids. I, just little things <laughs> that happen. Not, that's not life-threatening. But um, I, the truth is, when there's these EGR weeks, like radiant week, the truth is my house is more immaculate than typical because... My, my wife, she has this problem. It's a psychotic issue in her brain that uh, we're, we're looking at figuring out. But it's like when there's, when there's big things that need done, she, our house is actually more clean because she focuses. She tells me it's a stress relief to like do these small things because it takes her mind off the big. Are there any other ladies like that any, or men like that? Like you, 
Okay, I guess you're not weird. It's not normal. Okay. Um, but it's like, you know, these little, our house is so clean and so, because she'll do, like, just taking care. I wish it was radiant week every week in my house, honestly. It'd be great. But um, anyway, so the house is clean, and, and uh, it was a full, all I'm saying, it was a full week for both of us last week for different reasons. She's got all of her plans, things she's doing. I had some stuff going on, and I'm trying to help out where I can. And, and so I, we had our kids, and, and she was out doing some radiant thing, and I'm back. I got my kids, just came in late, get them fed, get them bathed, get them to bed. And I noticed that there were some dishes that didn't get done yet, and so I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to take it upon myself to uh, take care of these dishes because I'm that kind of husband. Like, I'm, I'm just that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. So um, anyways, I, I was doing that. And just as I start, she walks in and she says, what are you doing? I said, girl, I am fulfilling every wife's dream. I am a man doing dishes right now. And uh, you got to understand something about my wife. Like, you know, like women have different uh, love languages. I don't know if you heard about it. Like, like, like there, there's, a, like for some, like it might be acts of service, you know, uh, that might be one. My wife, her top three, there's five, her top three love languages are gifts, gifts, and buy me some more gifts right now. So um, within that, she, I'm doing the dishes. She's like, what are you doing? I said, babe, I'm just trying to help. I know you've had a full week, stuff going on, just trying to help you. She said, you are not helping me out. You are stressing me out because now I've got to redo everything that you've done wrong. I said, I said, girl, if this, she's like, she, she, she says, it's, it's a stress reliever for me to do the dishes. I said, babe, if you want a stress reliever, I can think about five things that we can do that are so much more enjoyable than doing dishes. I mean, like, take a walk. What are you guys talking about? You know, like, have a picnic at the park. I don't know. Okay. I'm glad you're in church today is all I'm saying. So uh, she says, that is not helping me out. That is stressing me out. And I'm like, babe, I'm trying to help you. And then she threw my, her, her keys at me, and, and that was the end. But um, within that, I'm just saying, it's amazing when you're trying to help somebody, and they don't want your help. That's what was so interesting to me about this Shunammite woman's response. Because, like, Elisha's trying to do a good thing for her. He's like, what do you need? I want to meet this need in your life. Oh, I found a need. Let me meet it. About this time next year, you'll embrace the sun. And she's like, what? I, don't talk to me like that. Don't, don't even say that. It's, it's a crazy response. Instead of being receptive she rejects it. Instead of being open to it, she's almost offended that he would even suggest that this is possible. Now, it might be, it might be worth just knowing a little bit of context uh, on this uh, text and on this Shunammite woman. Now, one thing you, you may notice, I, I started in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, and the chapter doesn't start. It actually starts in verse 1, um, if you didn't know that. So, it uh, starts in verse 1, and when you, when you read chapter 4 in all its entirety, what you see is that there's actually two women in this passage, two women. In, this, in, in the sphere of this one chapter, the Bible talks about two women that Elisha was called to, to help, and the first woman, she's a destitute widow. She is in a hopeless situation. We're talking about get your hopes up. She, I mean, 
I don't know why I'm not preaching about her because her situation was hopeless. I mean, she, she, she's lost her husband. She, she doesn't have any money to begin with. She is on the verge of bankruptcy, and she needs a miracle, and everybody knows it. I mean, it's obvious why God would send Elisha to her because everybody knows it's only the poor people who knew Jesus. I mean, I have never seen a missionary go to a wealthy neighborhood, have you? But see, in our American culture, we've been fed this false narrative that somehow economic success means that you don't need to be evangelized. Now, I'm messing with you a little bit, but the truth is, this is why you don't share the gospel with your friends. Because you think that their need has to be obvious before they'll be receptive. So I'm like, okay, God, I get why you would send Elisha to the widow. She needs Jesus. She needs a miracle or, or it's not going to happen. But the Shunammite woman, Shunammite woman's a different story. Because I mean, this Shunammite woman, like she is well-to-do. It says she is a notable woman. She is a prominent figure in the town that she lives in. She, King James calls her a great woman. She, she is wealthy. She's got enough money anyway that she can just, at the drop of a hat, just thinking about it, like build a wing on their house, just you know, do a renovation expansion project. You know, we'll just turn the, you know, we'll just build a whole nother room, just an easy thing. I mean, yes, she asked her husband about it, but we don't even see that the husband says, yes, I know some women that will just spend money and like don't even like they just really don't even communicate about it with their husband. They just like, hey, I want to do this and I can just do this thing. And I'm not talking about my wife. I'm just saying there's women out there like that and don't communicate in their marriage, but um she 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 builds this room for this prophet and like doesn't even have to think about it. I mean, this, this woman, she was a, she was a wealthy woman. I, I get why God would send the prophet to the, to the destitute woman, but why would God send a prophet to someone who's so prosperous? Maybe it's because sometimes the greatest poverty exists among those who are most profitable. I want you to understand what I'm saying here because, because you might misunderstand it. When people, I think sometimes the greatest poverty is when people don't have a sense of your need. And when people don't have a sense of your need, well, then they ignore you because of how they see you. They don't see you have need. I mean, that's a, that's a horrible place to be. People don't see you have a need. And what's even worse than that is when you don't realize that you have a need. See, this woman, it's funny because she thinks that the prophet's there so that she can bless him. So, so like, she's become so acclimated to her barrenness, she can't even recognize that God is trying to do something in her life. She's good as long as she's the one giving. She, she's good as long as she's meeting Elisha's needs. I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm all right. 
Are there any fine people in here? I'm just fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm all right. Fine people? We got some fine people. Let me tell you, this girl was fine. She was fine. You know how she just was a fine woman. She had a fine house. She had fine clothes. She had a fine husband. This girl was fine, but she wasn't fine. She wasn't fine. Doesn't even realize that she has a need. And you know, there are some people in this church that look fine, but you're not fine. You look like you got it all together on the outside. Nobody knows how broken you are on the inside. Look prosperous on the outside. Nobody realizes how empty you are on the inside. She doesn't even bring up the fact that she doesn't have a child because she's developed a new normal. It's normal to be this way. It's normal to be neglected. It's normal to feel like this. It's, it's, it's normal to give to people, not have them give back to you. So, I mean, the truth is, it takes a lot of strength to need. It takes a lot of strength to want. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable and say, I, I need this. I need this. Become really good at giving to his need, but you want me to say, I need? That's, I don't know if I can do that. That's, that's humbling. And what I'm trying to show you is that there's a lot of people in this room right now that are where this woman is at. You actually think that by coming to church, you're doing it for God. You're doing God a favor. Yeah, I came to church today. Check that off my list. You know what? I even gave in the offering. How about that? You know what? I came for the entire worship experience. Got all the songs in. I even lifted my hand on the slow one, just a little bit, just, you know, kind of a half one there. And God, I did that for you because I love you that much. I'm good. You think you're doing something for God by coming here. Never realizing that you need this. You need this. Hey, I'm good as long as I'm, I'm giving. I'm not going to let anybody know about my need, though. And the reason you come to church and the message never hits you is because you're not willing to let people know that you have a need. You don't have it all together. Look good on the outside, barren on the inside. And the problem is, if you live that way long enough, what you see is that Jesus avoided people that had no need. He said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Walk along to the ministry and say, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, you know what? Here's somebody who has a need. I'm going to help you. You know, one of the, like, awesome miracles he did, like that multiplying, you know, the 
the bread and fishes and the feeding the 5,000. You know why that happened? Because he was preaching and somebody said, hey, Jesus, you're preaching good, but I'm hungry. I like your sermon, man, but I could use some food right now. And that's what caused him to work that miracle. You see, you, you got to realize that when you come here, if you don't have a need, God can't fill it. And you got to be honest about where you're at. And so it's crazy to me that within all of this that this woman does, all of this that this woman does, and just give me as much time as you can give me, that, that she's like, I'm good. He says, I, 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 need to, I can't let this go untouched. I need to do something for you. What do you want? I can say a prayer. I'm a prophet. I'm connected. I'm introduced to the king. I, I realize, like, you know, you don't have, like, a lot of security around here. I'll introduce you to the commander of the army. I, you let me know what you need. I'm good. I'm all right. And so Gehazi, he says, uh, Elisha, did, did you notice that she didn't have a son? Did you notice that her husband's old? Did you, did you notice that? See, this is why you need people in your life. This is why you need to go to growth track. Because you need people in your life who have a different perspective than you. You can't just, if all you do is come to church and then check out and you never get involved in this place, you won't have the people in your life to help you see the missed opportunities that are in front of you. They help you see opportunities that otherwise you would miss. And so he says, hey, Elisha, I know you're the man of God. I know I'm just a servant, but I don't want you to miss this opportunity. Did you notice she doesn't have a son? Did you notice her husband's old? Elisha says, you're right. You're right. That's it. And he says, he calls her and he says, by this time next year, you'll embrace a son. And you know he hit a nerve. You know he hit a nerve because when he says that, she doesn't respond with gratitude. And what I see in her response, oh, no, my Lord, do not deceive me. Don't you lie to me. Don't you tell me that. I see a deep-seated disappointment. She's, she's learned to live with this disappointment. She, she's learned to deny the possibility that anything pertaining to this area of her life is possible. She's learned to cope with this condition. See, the only way she would say, hey, don't get my hopes up again, is if she's been down this road before. I've been there, prophet. Don't open that door. I've had that door open before, and that door hurts. I don't want to go there. Don't wake up this dream in my life. I don't want to hear that. Don't, don't make me confront this dead hope. Don't, don't talk to me like that. I've been through this. You don't know what I've had to go through. Because, see, if you've been trying to produce something for a while, you're not having success. First, you're embarrassed about your inability to produce. 
And then you start feeling anxious about the fact of what other people think that you can't produce. And I'm not talking about babies. I'm talking about what God wants to give birth to in your life, the purpose of God in your life. I'm talking about that marriage that seems loveless and hopeless, but at one time had enough love for you to say, I do, but now there's no progress in your passion. Don't, don't talk to me like that. No, no, my Lord, don't go there. And he says, he says, about this time next year, you'll have a son. I, I want to stay here for just a moment. Because you got to understand, like, I, I don't normally do this. Man, when I was praying over this message yesterday, God was moving so strong. I was moved to tears as I was thinking about the people in our church. I don't know who this is for, but I felt so strongly to say to somebody, about this time next year, you'll get your son back. I don't know who that's for. It's happened to me one other time in my life where I felt God so strong, speak to me so strong like that. And God wants to say to you, get your hopes up. She said, don't make me hope. I don't, don't wake up this hope in my life. And God said, get your hopes up. Now, I need to talk about hope for just a minute because when we talk about hope, we think about, well, you know, it should be nice. Like, I'm wishing. Like, I, like, I don't expect it to happen. I hope so. But that's not, that's not Bible hope. Bi Bible hope is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. He Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith, your, your belief and your corresponding action is the substance of those things that you confidently expect. God says, get your hopes up today. And she doesn't want to go there because she's, she's hoped before and it didn't work out. But look at what it says. About this next time, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. She said, no, no, my Lord, no man of God, do not lie to me. And in verse 17, it says, the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And his dad did what every good dad does. He says, go see your mom. I'm not going to deal with you. And when they'd taken him to his mother, they, they brought him to his mother. And he sat on her knees till noon and died. You have got to be kidding me. Why would you do this? This doesn't even make sense. After all I had to go through to hope again, after all I had to go to believe again, you're telling me to get my hopes up? After all of that, that promise is going to die in my lap. Die in my arms. 
die when the sun is the highest and I'm having my darkest moment? Why? Why, why would you even do that? See, I don't know if you're like me. Like, I don't mind pain if I can see the purpose. You, you, if, as long as the pain has a purpose, bring on the pain. I don't mind the trials as long as the trials make me stronger. Bring on the trials. But this, what's the point of this? What's the point of being a Christian if my marriage is going to end a divorce anyway? What's the point of, of coming to church and serving God faithfully if my kids are going to end up on drugs anyway? Well, what's the point of tithing and trusting God and then I lose my job? What's the point? Why even bother? See, if it's me, my God, I would rather you not even touch this area. I'd rather the promise not come at all than be partially fulfilled. What do you do with a partially fulfilled promise? God, I didn't ask for this. You said this. I didn't want this. You said, and now the promise is dead in my lap. What are you supposed to do? Now, I'll just tell you, I do not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But I do know the answer. And while I can't tell you exactly what to do, I can tell you what this Shunammite woman does. And one thing I see that she does is that you can either plan for a funeral or you can plan for a miracle. So she takes her son, puts him up on the bed that she makes for the prophet. Prophet's bed, but she takes her son and puts, puts him there. Runs, so funny. She, let me just read it to you so you don't miss it. She says, uh, it says that uh, she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to see him today? This marriage has some dysfunction. She has not even told her son that, told her husband that her son is dead. But he says, why are you going to see him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. She says, hey, it's all right. It's all good. Now, it's kind of, kind of funny that she doesn't tell her husband, but the truth is she knows something we need to know. He can't do anything about it anyway. And part of the reason you have dead promises in your life is because you're going to somebody who doesn't have the power to revive it. If God gave you the promise, it's a job for God. So, so she saddled donkey, said to her servant, hey, drive, go. They, they go, they depart. She says, hey, don't let up. And then Gehazi's like, hey, look, isn't that the shoot of my woman? And then she run to meet her, and she's like, hey, is everything all right? Everything well with you, well with your husband, well with your child? And she's like, yeah, it's well. This woman is a chronic liar. I mean, every time, I'm a classic woman. Like, I'm just saying, every time she says it's well, it's not. It's just marriage advice. I'm just telling, just take it for what we'll just take the hit and move on, all right? But anyways, again, she knows she can't do anything about it. Then she comes a man of God. 
She's at the hill. She's caught him by the feet. Gehazi comes to push her away. He's like, hey, don't do that. That's weird. The man of God said, hey, let her alone. Her soul's in deep distress. I don't, I don't know why. So she says, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? I didn't ask for this. Now, to Elisha's credit, he's probably like, is this a trick question? Because that was like a year ago. I was on the bed. I might have been, I really don't. Did you ask for this? Am I supposed to answer this? It's kind of like, you know, when one asks you a question, it's like, it is rhetorical. Do not answer that. Didn't I tell you that you don't ever listen to me? I don't know. I don't remember. See, exactly. You don't listen to me. Just getting stuff off my chest. Sorry. But uh, he says, did I ask you for this? So he's like, all right, well, Gehazi, take my staff, go lay it on the boy. She's like, oh, no, you're not sending your staff on this one. I need the senior pastor to come and make this hospital visit. So Gehazi, though, he runs, takes off. Staff doesn't work. So Elisha, he finally goes, checks out. Verse 32 says, when Elisha came to the house, there's no child. There was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Now, you might think he shut the door because he wanted privacy. He's got to do this thing, but he's never done this before. He doesn't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, he has no idea what to expect. He's like, I was just being, I just said what you told me to say. I don't know what to do in this situation. So he shuts the door, he prays, nothing happens. Then he does something weird. Stick didn't work, praying didn't work. Says he went up, lay on the child, and gets worse. Says he put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child. Now look, I am happy to pray for you, but I am not going to do this. All right, I think... Some things are just better off, left in the Old Testament. How many of you agree with that? We're just leaving this one in the Old Testament. Not going to do this one. But it didn't work anyway. It says the flesh child became warm, but he didn't get up. He returned, walked back and forth in the house. He's pacing, didn't know what to do. But the weird thing is, then he goes back and does the last thing he just did, because sometimes when you don't know what to do next, you should just go back to the last thing God told you. So he stretches himself out on the boy again, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, and something interesting happens. Child sneezed seven times. The child opened up his eyes, and he called Gehazi, and he said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and she came to him. He said, pick up your son. Now, if you're listening to this, and I know i got to shut it down, you're thinking, I, I don't understand. i got a lot of questions. Can I tell you, you understand this better than most scholars because the road to resurrection is not marked by easy answers. But one thing we do know for certain is that just when she thought that her hope was gone, that her hope was dead, that the promise that God gave her couldn't live again, the prophet said these words, I know, I, I know your, your hopes or in this promise of a son. All your hopes, all your dreams rested in him. And he says these words, pick up your son. In other words, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. 
I need to tell some people today, get your hopes up. I know it looks like it's dead, but God would say to you, get your hopes up. It, it looks like that thing is lost, but God is telling you, get your hopes up. And, you know, I had so much I want to say about it because there's, there's so much I don't understand. Like, why, why would this, this woman who has a need, doesn't even see her need, has a miracle baby, this boy, her begotten son, her only begotten son, dies and then is resurrected. I said, God, I don't see this. And, and then I heard myself say it out loud, like I did to you. And you know what it showed me? Is that maybe the purpose of the promises of God are less about the promise and they're more to point us to the promiser. I, I don't know, I don't have all the answers about unfulfilled promises in your life, but I do know God's word says this. That in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And so maybe if your situation looks unfulfilled, it's because you need to get your hopes up. Your hopes aren't high enough. You need to put your hope in Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith.